you can get away with certain things and not being as focused sometimes because you have an innate talent and you can ride with the wave. But I think that having a steady life and a safe place to go home and relax your head, I think it's better for longevity. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. And I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. Today, we are graced with a candid interview with my good friend and larger-than-life personality, Costas Mandelar. Costas' career spans three decades in Hollywood, where he's had the good fortune of holding numerous roles in some of the most recognized TV series and movies in the world, Picket Fences and the Saw movie franchise, just to name a few. During our podcast, Costas shares with us how he went from a professional soccer player to flopping on friends' couches in L.A., to becoming a world-renowned actor amongst Hollywood royalty. While never directly speaking of networking, you can clearly see how he's a natural super connector in all he does, not just in his acting career. Through the course of our conversation, Costas shares with us some entertaining stories, relationships that are near and dear to him, his roller coaster ride of life, and his take on relationships that he has developed throughout the course of his career. I really enjoy doing these podcasts and allowing my listeners to be a fly on the wall. It's especially gratifying when I get the opportunity to share my conversations with my close friends. You see, my friendship with Costas spans over 10 years where we've hung out numerous times, traveled together, and even been roommates. He's a great guy, a lot of fun, and has a heart of gold. He's the kind of guy that lights up a room and a person you just want to be around. In case you don't already know who he is, after listening to our conversation, you will understand exactly what I'm talking about. So, let me now take you to my conversation with Costas Mandalore. Enjoy. So, what do you say we get this party started? Yes, why not? (laughs) Anything off the table? Yeah. It's my first podcast ever. Ooh. You're losing your virginity with me? Yeah, I am. And I don't want to be boring while I do it. <laughs> so that's good. You know, hopefully you last longer than I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Casas, I'm excited to have you here. It's fun to be sitting right across from you. We're going to have a good time today. So much to talk about. I don't even know where to begin. Maybe we begin with how you got into acting. Well, that uh, started around about the late 88, 89 mark. I landed in LA to visit some friends with no real... I was there for an adventure and certain people were coming up to me and said, Hey man, are you an actor? You should be an actor. Now, without sounding silly, I was fit. Some people thought I was attractive, but half the guys that were coming up to me saying I should be an actor were gay. And I was like, Oh, they don't really care about that. They're hitting on me. So it was a compliment. <laughs> but initially I started to take some of the people seriously and I found an acting teacher who was, her name was Janet Alhanti. She was one of the best in LA at the time. When I went into the class, I saw these people that were on TV and movies, and I was like, holy shit, this is where it's at. Because I came from Melbourne, Australia, off the plane, thinking back then it was maybe Mel Gibson and two other people and nobody else from the country that was known in America as actors. And I was like, let me try this acting class. And it's funny because I wasn't great at school. 
I loved sitting in class, although I loved history and physical education. It's funny when you love something, it doesn't feel like it's class anymore. It just passes by sweetly. And that's how I felt about history and sports. All of a sudden, I'm in this acting class. When I became a professional player, I hurt myself. I had shin splints. I couldn't run for about a year. So I ended Perfect, up, Sorry to interrupt, but professional what? Well, I played soccer on a professional level, and that was my love, although I loved boxing and a few other things. But sports were, back in those days, people weren't on computers. They were out in the park doing something, right? Which I think is very healthy, and some people still let their kids do that. But nevertheless, I found this class, and I found it so intriguing because it wasn't you were what you were studying now wasn't books, or there was uh, literature that you had to read if you wanted to, but you were studying human psychology and physical behavior, and I found that intriguing because in life we do it without even thinking. If you're a doorman, you got to watch people that are maybe uh, have drank too much, maybe the aggressive ones, where the trouble's going to come from. If you're walking your kids in the street, you want to be safe. You look around you. Well, in this class, we had people from all walks of life studying to be actors, and some people got it and some people didn't. And I loved the aspect of that. And class, eight hours a day, which was unheard of in my life, unless it was sports, was interesting. And I became a junkie for going to class. And therefore, you learn things. Well, how did you find her? It's funny, this uh, people recommend you to people. And there was a time when I met her. I'll never forget this. I was living on Santa Monica Beach for about 10 days because in the early days, people roomed together. You stay on people's couches and floors. A number of people that have become successful in any walk of life have, have done that because you want to you know, have a safe place to sleep. And I remember just meeting a couple of teachers and I thought, this guy was weird. That guy was a bit strange. And this woman took me aside and said, uh, listen, I know you don't have much money but you can be something. She actually said to me, you could be another Brando. Now, let's not get carried away with that term because Brando is one of the greatest. But what she was saying was I had qualities like Brando and I knew what she was saying. But in my head, she's like, you can make it in this business. And she inspired me and I went to class. I finally caught up with the bill that I owed her. She trusted me. And a lot of this business is a little fickle and a little bit, there's jealousy and a little, and a few weirdos that don't want you to do well. But when you find like-minded people and people that are sincere and that trust you, then you find the safe haven with it. Like having a good group of friends in the neighborhood. You find people you can hang out with, you can learn with, you can stumble and fall and they'll pick you up. And all of a sudden you've got a great group of friends and you're doing good work in the movies. That's let alone anything else. What did you do to build the trust with the right people that helped you to get your first, second, third gig? Well, I feel like there are con men in this world and there are people that won't take something from you when you're not looking, especially your trust. So I was just trying to be sincere. I came from a rough background. You know, my parents, we had a middle class life, but I came, I grew up around a lot of rough people and tough people. I grew up around a, a lot of uh, scallywags, as they say. So I knew what a liar was. I knew what a dangerous one was. I had good instincts as a kid because I grew up around certain people, right? Like growing up somewhere in Brooklyn, you're in a neighborhood. You'd be like, people have instincts. They grow. They learn to trust their instincts and stuff like that. The one thing I wanted to do when I came here was not be like that. I wanted to be a sincere person to try and get chances to do this thing that wasn't really a dream of mine because it was an unattainable dream when I was young. But now you're in class with certain people and you're going, oh, this is possible. So I was just trying to be as honest in a kind of not always honest game. Wow. And people learn to trust you and they bring you into their circle. 
Tell me, was there anyone from your class, from the first class when you were in California, that made it today besides yourself? In my first class, there was a young man called Josh Brolin, who's now become one of the best, one of the hottest, as they say, you know? I remember he was young. He grew up in the business. His father was a successful actor, but he was always a sincere guy. I guess he had his trials and tribulations with alcohol when he was young. Then he ended up getting a big TV show with Stephen Baldwin and some other guys. And they went off to Arizona and played the uh, Young Guns, the uh, Magnificent Seven type show. So he was doing good from the beginning. And then he went into raising a family. And I've kept contact with him. And he's one of the guys. There was a guy that was a New York entity guy uh, called Jack Scalia, who was once going to be a ball player, but ended up getting into some movies and some soaps and stuff like that. I actually bought my first motorcycle from him when I raised my first thousand bucks. It was worth two grand. And he felt bad for me because he liked me. He said, take it for a grand. And then I started driving around L.A. and getting around because at first I had a little scooter. So I began from the simplest place up. There were various other actors. Do most people make it? No, I think a smaller percentage of people make it. What does it take? What do you think is it at the end of the day? Well, having tenacity is one thing. Having the smarts to know where you fit some people want to be the star of a movie. Well, to be a star of a movie, you have to have an innate talent. You have to have a certain look. And then people hire you. And if it catches with the audience, then you sustain and become a, you know, a Clooney or somebody or Josh Brolin, let's say. I remember meeting an actor who's a really good actor and he's a character guy, but he goes, you know, Costas, I figured out a long time ago, I'm never going to be that guy, the number one guy, but I can always play with them. And he sustained the career. His name's Richard Pork now. I find him to be a very talented man, and he always knew where he fit, so he never deluded himself, you know what I mean? And now that I've gotten to the older stage of the 50 mark, I've become a different actor as well, because when you're 35 or 30 and they think they want to make you, and I started in a lot of movies and TV shows, but at this stage of the game, I don't care about starring in anything. If I do star in something, it's great. If you start in something like a Sopranos, who cares if you're number one or number five, you're having a ball for six, seven years with people that you love. But at this stage of the game, I just want to do things that are interesting to me. What kind of work interests you? Well, challenging work, number one, where the writers are great. You go to work and you feel like, it's like when you go to work with good writing, you can stay there forever and feel like you're having a good time. And it's challenging to live up to the writing, but the writing's not as hard to live up to. Bad writing is hard to live up to. Like, what am I going to do with this? If I give you a shiny engine, you know what to do with it. If I give you a broken down engine that you got to fix, you go, oh man, this is going to take some work. Can I do it or not? As good writing is having a beautiful engine. Then you got to put a nice car around it and take off. That's the beauty. I think actors dream of good writing. How can you tell if a show, movie, whatever it's going to be, or should I say, can you tell just by writing a script if it's going to be good? And if yeah, so, I, how I often? Really, all I know is this. You can tell what turns you on as an actor. Go, oh, I'd love to do this. Sometimes they take it to the screen and it doesn't work out so good. Sometimes you've seen TV shows for an episode like the pilot and you go, oh my God, I'd love to be in that show. Three episodes later, it's canceled. Then you'll see this script and you go, you know, it's okay, but somehow it fits in the TV format and it gets an audience. So even the experts have told me, I don't know what makes it tick, but they're <laughs> always hoping. Yeah. Then you have a David Kelly or a Dick Wolf who have found the formula that works for them. They have the formula, like the procedure kind of stuff, the procedural type stuff, but they have it with really edgy characters and stuff, and those are the shows that last a longer time. Therefore, you have actors that get really lucky. Like a really good actor can... Apparently, George Clooney was in 12 
pilots before he got ER, and none of them got picked up. Hmm. Now, I don't know who else can get away with that, but if I fell into that category, I'd be like, shit, man, it's never going to happen. But ER came along, and then boom, boom, boom. The rest is history. Well, how much is luck? How much is it relationships? How much is it skill? I think luck is a big factor, but obviously, if you meet somebody at the beginning of your career, let's say Tom Hanks early on, Spielberg, they partnered up and they did the Band of Brothers together. Oliver Stone has worked and reworked with certain actors in his life. Martin Scorsese found Leo DiCaprio and Leo DiCaprio found Martin Scorsese and now that's become the new tag team of watchable great films. And Scorsese, I call him the bodyguard of American cinema because he does (laughs) such a great job and he actually cares about cinema. There's so many relationships you build and it's important. Then it's about you. What do you have to offer? How can you help people that want to make this movie better? And then they use you. Sometimes you don't get to see... I've never met Scorsese. I've never got a chance to read for him. And I might have screwed it up if I did back then because I held him on such a high pedestal. At this stage of the game, nobody's on a pedestal anymore. You just admire people's work and you get ready and you get prepared and you go in and do your best. If I work with Scorsese once, I'd think, I've, that's it, I'll go take a holiday. <laughs> and some people get to work with them. And if you get to know them and they trust you, they use you again. What are other relationships that are important in this business? There's a lot of people that have had wild lives, and I went through a wild stage myself. But having a steady home life, to me, seems like the way to go. But when you go through your 20s and the mid-30s or early 30s, it's like you can get away with certain things and not being as focused sometimes because you have an innate talent and you can ride with the wave. But I think that having a steady life and a safe place to go home and relax your head, I think it's better for longevity. Yeah. Who are some of the people that do that best that you've come across? Well, I don't know anything about Ewan McGregor, but I think he has a family and he has a long career and nobody knows shit about him. I don't know anything about Daniel Day-Lewis other than he went off and became a cobbler because he wanted to be, and then he'd make one movie every three years and win the Academy Award. <laughs> but I know he has a significant partner in a private life. There are other people as well. Some people have had the marriages break up and stuff, and I'm sure it's not a good thing. Nobody likes a breakup, but Anthony Hopkins has been with the same woman for years and years and years, and they're a wonderful couple. She's probably 20 years younger than him, and they're happy as could be. And Anthony Hopkins has sustained... 40 years of sobriety and a private, quiet life. And every time we watch him on screen, he's fantastic. Yeah, he really is. I mean, you've got quite a roll of decks. So through the course of some of the movies that you've worked with and I guess living out in L.A., for how many years have you been out there now? I think I've been there for a real minus about five years when I went crazy. Mm-hmm. And I stayed with you for a remember? <laughs> <laughs> I went off the deep end for a little while. I think like 24 years. Wow. Have you seen it change? In general, like just the industry. Sure. Well, you know, the reality TV thing that came along changed things a lot. I think that there are still the old school professionals that do it a certain way. I think that TV has gone berserk in two ways. It's become a magnificent beast with all these Netflix shows and Amazon and Crackle. And I mean, the production value of shows is outstanding. And I think that The Sopranos and a few other shows, Breaking Bad, etc., set that up. And now look what we have. I mean, there's there's so many great shows to be a part of, if possible. I think the other side of it is that the reality stuff, unless you're singing and some magnificent singers have come out of that reality, some boxers, some fighters. I like all that stuff that's tangible. The other stuff that's reality that's chopped up like The Bachelor and all that stuff, for me, it goes to the garbage as far as I'm concerned, you know? Yeah. What sacrifices have you had to make along the way to get you where you are? 
Well, you've got to be concentrated on this business in a very disciplined way if you're going to concentrate on opportunities not passing you by, being ready for an opportunity that may come along when you're deciding to take a holiday. But when you get to a certain level, you can plan ahead. Like I'm friends with Gerard Butler. He knows what he's going to do like two years ahead a lot of the time. And that's the place to get to if possible. But when you're making a, I'm on a bit of a comeback tour. And when you're doing that, you really have to sort of sacrifice time away and things like that. Saying no to your friends because no, I've got to read a script. I've got a screen test in two days and I've got to learn 20 pages. I can't be at your birthday party. I mean, that's not a big sacrifice, but just time. Yeah. Time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, yeah. I mean, <laughs> every time uh, I talk to you, I don't know where you're going to be, what country you're going to be, what state. How about the travel? Does that wear on you or is that well, something you enjoy? When you're single and traveling to me was like the adventure was what it was about. But I've been with my lady now for four years and I do actually miss her company. And that's the part where it can get a little frustrating. But if you're doing well, you call your loved ones and say, meet me over there and they can have fun while you're, you know, on the job. Yeah. But the job, I mean, it's long hours, right? Yeah. I mean, you can be 12, 14 hour. That's not uncommon. No, it's not uncommon at all. And I must tell you, on my first phase of the career, I never really complained about being there ever. But sometimes you get a little fidgety because you wanted to get away because you're locked up on a set. And after you take a little time off or you have to struggle to get back to a place you were at because of taking too much time off or having too much of a holiday party time, then you see the value of being on that set and you crave being back there. I do anyway. I mean, ever since I started making my little comeback and started doing NCIS LA, the last ship doing two or three episodes on all of these shows and seeing how comfortable all these actors are going to work. Not all of them are always happy, but I'm just saying, seeing that safe place of being at a steady gig where you get to be creative and then get paid to have fun. It's hard work, but it's fun. I think the hardest part of it is getting the gig. Sometimes you have to prepare physically and things like that. But to me, when you're on the job, working with an Anthony Hopkins or I can drop a bunch of names and I'll sound silly, but it's a holiday to me. For those who aren't familiar with you and some of your work, can you talk about that a little bit? What you've done, some of the people that you have worked with and just give no, us well, a little more know, color. At the beginning yeah. of everything, the first movie I did was, I think I read for it nine times. I kept getting brought back in the room. And it was called The Triumph of the Spirit. And Willem Dafoe was in it. The great Robert Lozier, who passed away three years ago. Eddie almost was in it. And I'm working with these guys that were nominated for an Academy Award. I was freaking out, going, wow. Because halfway through the movie, they flew back for the Oscars. Because Willem was nominated for uh, Platoon. And Eddie almost was nominated for Stand and Deliver. So that was my first film, working with what you would call movie legends now, after all these years. That was in 89. And then the second movie I got was a big Hollywood production. That was more of a, an independent, heavy movie. It was called Triumph of the Spirit. It was a Holocaust film, a very quality film. Then I got Mobsters, which was with Christian Slater, Patrick Dempsey, Richard Grieco, and more so the great Anthony Quinn and this great actor from England called Michael Gambon. He's Shakespeare, crazy, one of the top guys. That's how it began. And then David Kelly discovered me on that film, invited me to have a meeting with him at this famous old restaurant called The Dome in L.A. on Sunset. And it was a Sunday afternoon, and I remember being with him in this room, and he's a cool Bostonian, good guy. Unfortunately, he loves the Patriots. I love the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> he said to me, he took a meeting with me. I'm like, what do you want from me? He goes, I want you to be in this show called Picket Fences. It ended up winning Emmys every year and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, but I'm too afraid to commit. And here I am talking to one of the top, who knew, one of the Hall of Fame TV writers. 
I was too afraid to commit because I once went to a TV set on Cagney and Lacey, and it was a shitty old set in downtown L.A., and I'm like, oh, I'd hate to be here. What did I know? I didn't know anything. Anyway, I kept turning them down after I left him. And he did say to me, he goes, just get ready for some changes if you accept this offer. I go, what are the changes? He goes, you're not going to be able to go shopping at a Ralph's anymore because of the people. They get crazy with the TV stuff. Anyway, I went back home and my agents kept calling. They're going, they're offering you this much money a week. I'm like, nah, nah, forget it. I don't want to do it. All of a sudden, they're thinking that I'm bartering with them because I'm a powerful young man who believes himself. I just didn't want to commit. And the money kept going up. And then I heard that Tom Skerritt and Kathy Baker were going to be in it. And my agent said, listen, stupid, if you don't take this, we'll kill you. And that's how I ended up being on the TV show Picket Fences. And I learned a lot. And I never took it for granted. But in this day and age now, anything I get, I eat the scenery. I hug and kiss everybody every morning. And I'm like, whatever it takes to do a good job. And you go home happy. Does everybody on the set respect each other? Not everybody. But on Picket Fences... A load of respect with old-time actors. Ray Walston from My Favorite Martian. He was an 80-year-old man at that point. The old Fivish Finkel, he was 80-something years old. There was a lot of deep respect because these guys had been through wars, through the Yiddish theater, through the old days of Hollywood. So it's a group that just gets it. Tom Skerritt, Kathy Baker, fantastic. But there's other sets that are a nightmare. I've heard terrible stories about certain sets. And I've worked with a couple of actors that are disrespectful, and I'm not afraid to say actors should protect actors, and mostly they do. But when you're a spoiled brat, I'm not afraid to say, listen, stupid, get it together, stop complaining. And it's not just me. A lot of people had to have talks. Because once you don't get work for a while, then you kiss the ground that you walk onto the studio if you get it again, you know? Don't take this shit for granted. shouldn't take life for granted. We'll rejoin our conversation in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast as well as our other episodes, please support us using Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash networkwise. Thanks for listening. And now let's rejoin the show. So what are some other work that you've done that other people might be more familiar with? Well, the Saw franchise was a Godzilla hit on its own, but I ended up being a part of it from three to, well, really four. I took over and became the new killer. So a lot of the people that are like, I I must tell you, from the age of like 12 till 55, I go to these Comic-Cons sometimes and the fan base is huge. It's still huge. It's huge. It's huge. They're so dedicated to that too. Pick Offenses was big. There's movies that I've done that people, of course, they go, oh, my God, my God. But I must tell you, there's a movie coming out this year, towards the end of the year, called The Cliffs of Freedom. And I didn't even think I was going to bring this up, but I should because it's the most recent movie that I've done. And it's about my Greek people, and the Greeks will relate to this, but the Turks in that era took over Greece for 400 years. And after 400 years, the Greeks got them out with some generals that shook hands and said, we've got to get them out. That's it. So the tenacity of the Greek spirit is shown in the movie. There's a sympathetic Turkish character. I've got a lot of Turkish friends, by the way. But this happened. It was the ISIS of its age, raping and pillaging and beheading and all that kind of stuff. And the reason it's called the Cliffs of Freedom is because when there were certain factions of the Turkish army that would go and take over certain villages and whatnot, the men would be fighting and the women would run with their kids. 
And a lot of the times when the Turks were very large in numbers and they would overwhelm the Greek resistance, let's say, or the Greek resistance would be in the mountains, but the guys that weren't warriors were there just taking care of their families. The women would run to the edge of the cliffs with their kids and look at the Turks and spit on the ground and do this kind of weird dance. It was like a suicide dance. And they'd jump off the cliffs with their kids. In other words, you're not taking me or my children. And I used to hear these stories from my grandparents, my uncles, my parents. And I thought, wow, how fascinating. You're like, wow. But when you really relive it as an older man, you go, what courage, what madness it took to do that. And what desperation. So that movie's going to be a very hard-hitting film. Cliffs of Freedom coming to a theater near you. That's the first time I've ever plugged a movie. <laughs> All right, nice. So is that normal for you to have such an in-depth understanding of the movies that you do? Well, you always do your homework. You know, even when I've played uh, mobsters, gangsters, underworld figures, I do my homework. I love that element of life. It's exciting. It's weird. It's dangerous. I've met some people. I'm friends with some people. And there's certain subject matter that you love or that you're very interested in. But when they talk about your bloodline and what happened to them, and when I was handed a script, they go, listen, there's this movie coming. You have to put yourself on tape. I use the old-fashioned term screen test. Because if you're really putting it together properly, you better be good. Otherwise, somebody else is going to get it. When I opened up the page, I went, oh, shit. And this was part of my comeback because I had to fight my way back into everybody's graces. And not because I did anything wrong. I just disappeared and wasn't living the best life. And, and I was cavalier about things for a while. But I opened it up and it said the general's name that was one of the main guys that was the enforcer of getting rid of the Turkish army. And I was like, oh, shit. So I concentrated for about three and a half days because they don't always give you too much time. And I probably did the best screen test of my life. And I said, if I don't get this, Daniel Day-Lewis better get it. <laughs> and I ended up getting the call, but it took a month because they were casting out of London. Cause sometimes you don't know where it's coming from. And I was so happy to get that call. And that particular set was full of hardworking, lovely people. And I must say, there's a guy called Van Ling. He's a special effects guru of Avatar, Terminator 4, Titanic, who got his first directing job, and he's a hell of a guy. And I ended up becoming friends with him. And I would you dream of working with people like that again. So hopefully that'll happen. Does he have anything on the horizon? I'm sure he's cooking up some stuff because he's very respected. James Cameron actually took him to the Directors Guild. I bumped into James Cameron, believe it or not, all these bigwigs. When I go up to them, I'm not afraid to say hi to anybody now, especially if they're walking by me. I'm not going to disrupt their table. I go, James, I just worked with Vin. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, with Van. He goes, oh, that's great. And I called up Van. I said, I told him, I told him. And he goes, I don't want to bug him, but I said, you should tell him how great the experience was because he got you in the guild, bro. <laughs> Even those guys that are supposedly gods to us because they hire us, they have their own issues with people. But I've been lucky to work with some great people. Yeah. Getting back to some of the relationships that you've developed, any people in particular that have been instrumental in your career? I must tell you, there was, I did a small part in a movie called The Pledge. Jack Nicholson was the star of The Pledge and Sean Penn was the director. And I spent a lot of time with Sean. And I remember I had, they were running late and there was about 10 actors, big, big names, Vanessa Redgrave, Mickey Rourke, et cetera, et cetera. They all had one big pivotal scene where Jack was trying to find information. When I got to the set, it was, they were running late. There was a lot of pressure because when you lose hours, you lose big money. And I remember I had the biggest five-page monologue, and Jack Nicholson had three little lines, right? I'm like, holy shit, they're running late. How am I going to do this? And all the people on the movie were Academy Award-winning guys. Sam Mendes, he won uh, Best DP, Director of Photography for, for The Killing Fields. Sean Penn, 
Jack Nicholson, of course. Everybody that was involved in the movie were all Academy Award nominees. Now here I am with all the dialogue. And they have the thing they call the track. It had to come from another room. And if I screwed up, they had to start again. And there was a lot of pressure, as I said. I did it in the first take. And I won them all over, thank God. And even Jack Nicholson was like, Jesus Christ, kid, you're on fire. Now, the point I'm trying to make now is when you see these people backing you up in a long-ass scene and you kick ass, and they tell you and they hug you and they say, man, what beautiful work, that was enough to reinvigorate my interest because these people have already made it. They could retire that day, but they still love the craft. And I was reinterested in a deeper way because they were still into it after all those years of being in it. So that was a very inspirational thing. But any actor, like, I did a movie called Bell with Robert Zemeckis directing, Forrest Gump director, etc., with Ray Winston, Brendan Gleeson, the great Irish actor, Angelina Jolie was only there for a short time, but John Malkovich. I'm working with these people, and they're also giving in, like, with you, like a unit. It's like you're playing with a great team. Is that camaraderie normal in the industry? I think it's special when you get it. Because sometimes it's not as good. People are bitching about their freaking trailer or something. It's like, fuck you, you're lucky you're in the movie. But when the legendary type, when I say legendary, I mean very successful people from their countries come together and become huge stars, it means they give a damn. And if they give a damn about you and you're not supposed to be like them, how inspiring can that be? If you go play ball with a couple of the greatest and they give you the ball and expect it back and pat you on the back... Teamwork doesn't hurt, buddy. Mm, Good analogy. I like that. What's firing you up these days? Revenge on my six or seven missing years. Revenge on my stupidity. If I wrote a book, the title would be My Biggest Crime Was Wasting Time. And catching up now as a more mature actor, as uh, I've become a bit more fearless now because I'm not worried about living up to anybody's whatever pigeonhole they put me in. Now I'm going to grow a beard. I've gotten Scottish roles, English roles, Russian roles, because I used to do it in a private room with friends. Now I'm doing it on camera or in auditions and I'm getting the roles. So I've become more adventurous. I'm enjoying the challenge of coming back. Sometimes winning the championship's really good, right? It's always good to win. But I do believe that when you get knocked down and get back up off the canvas and then win something, it's even more satisfying. I remember I was in Japan once for the K1 tournament. It was the heaviest kickboxing tournament in the world. And I remember the Japanese crowd. It was 20,000 people in the Tokyo Dome. And when people would get knocked out, they'd go, ooh, and clap. But when people got knocked down and got back up, they'd give them a standing ovation. So getting back up off the canvas when you have adversity is a big deal to me now because I've done it. I did it to myself. Nobody kicked me out of the game. I took myself out. I went on a long, let's say, extended holiday. And I think some good friends made me aware of, hey, 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 man, are you back with us here? The train's not waiting for you. You got to be at the stop to get on it. Thank you for good friends. But coming back from adversity, how many millionaires have told their stories? They went broke and they came back. What's sweeter, just sitting there being fat cat rich or coming back and having a story to tell? So what inspires me is living up to the challenges. If the man upstairs wants me to do it, I'm doing my best to help him let me do it and living a decent and fulfilling life and telling some stories with my friends. Who have been some of the people that have been instrumental in helping you get back up and what have they done? Well, and what, and why do you think they did it? Sorry to pepper oh, you with well, a couple Anybody that's out there that doesn't know these people, it doesn't matter because people like them. For instance, there's five names I'll drop. Ray Fazio from Perth, Australia, 
Mario Steridi, a.k.a. the gorilla from Hoboken, New Jersey. 10th Street Pizza. Great pizza, guys. He didn't even ask me to say that. I just said it. <laughs> it's really good pizza. It is. Even yourself, Adam. You know, I stayed at your place for a little while. When I owned homes and I owned things and I sold them and blew it all and gave everything away because I was a decent guy. Coming back, people like yourself, Anthony Sturpin from Australia, a parent saying, hey, stupid, you're our son. Wake up. Get back <laughs> into it. Certain actors that were just kind and saying, dude, the business didn't walk away from you. You walked away from the business. Pat Priest is another one. A guy I met on a handshake through you guys. Look, there's certain angels that come into your life and they change the course of it. I've had my fill of good people. And I do believe karmically I was in the right place because I took care of a lot of people myself. But that doesn't mean that you're owed. It just means it either happens or it doesn't. And good friends are hard to find. Yeah, you've got some amazing friends. I mean, some of the things that just some of the stories. What's that car ride that you do? The race? Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that? Uh, well, yeah, it's called the Gumball Rally. Any car enthusiast <laughs> will know about it. It's okay. supercars riding through from one destination to another. Mine was particularly in, uh, it took place in London and it ended up in Istanbul, Turkey. Give the story. What is it? The types of people that are involved, the experience. You Can got you- millionaires and billionaires involved, right? And they get groups of people and they get in their supercars. They ship them to wherever they got to take off from. I ended up in London with a guy who's an interesting guy. If he ever comes, I've got to get you on to interview him. He's fantastic. His name is Tamar Hassan, big, dangerous Turk. And he's lovable too. He said, well, we're going to go on this race. I'm like, what race? I've got a bad back. And that's, that's part, right, of, that's part, right, part of my setback was having a bad back and not doing anything about it, just resting. Resting is no good. Fix your back if you have a bad back. Find help. I lost a few years because of that pain. I get to this place and he's got this supercar. I can't remember the name of the car now, but it was like a low riding sports car. I remember seeing six, pictures of it. I yeah, don't remember. Lotus. Lotus. We get there. He's six foot three and he's big. He's your size. And I'm not a tiny yeah, guy. <laughs> now we're sitting in these chairs. They're racing chairs. We couldn't even fit in. All the cars are taking off now to the destination, which was, it was the train that takes you from Dover to France on the Underground Railway. Uh-huh. You know, you, get, you park the cars, <laughs> then you get going in France, and then you go to Italy, blah, 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 blah. And we get in the car, we can't fit. They've got to change. Lotus had the team behind us. They had to change the seats so we could fit in because we all big, have big shoulders. <laughs> now we have to shove our bags in the back. Now we get in the car. Getting in and out of the car was a nightmare, and we're driving. But the first turn, we got, I can't remember, Coventry Gardens or something. We made a turn down a busy London street. Now all the other cars are gone, and it's just me and him. And then we get to this bump in the road, and the car is so low, we can't go over it. Now we've stopped, and there's two miles of traffic behind us in London. What time of day is this? It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So now we're going, I got out of the car. I said, fuck you, Tamara. I'm getting out. Now he gets out, and he was on this big movie. You know, It was like an underground movie, and people recognize him. So now everyone's coming to push the car over the bump. So as we got to the bumps, we learned we had to go like on an angle to get over him. So one wheel would go first, and then we go back the other way. Anyway... Thank God for having fans, bro. They got us over the hump, so to speak. And then we went through all of Europe, and every night was a super party. Barcelona, blah, 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 you name it, Venice. And we ended up in Istanbul, and it was a nine-day trip of exciting hell. (laughs) I remember the pictures, the stories. I mean, they're just fantastical. The Gumball Rally, it's big. How is it like or and different to the Cannonball Run? You remember that movie? Yeah, Yeah. I remember the movie. I think it's just... You have to be at a certain place by a certain time or you miss out on all the goodies, Yeah, which is the high-class hotels. Uh, we were in Monaco, too, for two days in the middle of it. You get two days off, and nobody slept. 
just I don't think I've never been so unslept. Yeah. But you've got to keep going. So you've got friends all over the world. I mean, when you went to Russia, you had friends. You've got friends in Istanbul, like all over Europe. Yeah, met some um, good people. Yeah. What would you say are some of the common threads uh, amongst the best people that you've come across from all over the world? I think that ultimately good laughter will begin conversation. Like-minded people get each other. Then some trust builds up. And there's certain people on the planet where you go, hey, man, I'm in town. They're like coming to get you. And you form these friendships. And I think ultimately having a little bit of fun with people, having a common interest. Everybody out there, you've made friends. You know what it's like. And if something doesn't smell good, trust your instinct and let it go. Yeah. What do you do to stay in touch with people? I mean, you've got so many friends. I mean, I know we'll talk every once in a while or we got funny texts and things going on. And obviously we see each other. But what do you do with some of the people that are all over the globe? Is it the same or are there? Well, I think that when you really have a solid friendship, you can call them a year later and they're like, how you been, where you been. It's hard to connect with people all the time because people get busy. Some people go through hard times. But generally, there's a way of connecting. You just leave a message and they get it. But when you see each other, it's the same. With really great friends, with just the ones, it's like yesterday. It can be 10 years. I haven't seen people for 15 years in Australia. When I do see them, it's like we've never missed a beat. Yeah. They're the ones that you want to hang out with. Yeah. What are some of the hardest things that you're dealing with today? I know you're on the comeback. Sounds like you've got some really good momentum. The good movie's coming out. You're getting scripts. But is there anything in particular? Is it having to tell the story about the absence? Is it just the, the roles hardest- themselves? Are you having to change the type of actor that you are? What well, is yeah, it, would you I, say? You have to reinvent yourself. It doesn't matter who you are in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And you learn things as you go along. I think the hardest part is to... I had a pretty good, rich life. And I mean rich in content in this business. And I'd like to taste it again because I have a wife that I want to take care of. And I want to build a family. An awesome wife, I might add. Thank you very much. Uh, Angel, right? You know, I want to make sure that life is comfortable. I'm not greedy, but I think that you want to do the highest quality work. You want to have the highest quality lifestyle that's possible. The high quality is usually just quality. I'm not saying I have to go eat at the Four Seasons every night. I'm just saying you want to be able to go, yes, we can go there. We can do that. Get your kids some nice gifts at Christmas and just do simple, nice things. But the hard thing is in this business is not to just settle for jobs. Because sometimes you'll settle for jobs that are not the greatest quality and you can set yourself back. Sometimes you have to say no to the free lunch, no to the lower money, or no to a big paycheck that amounts to nothing but paying a few bills. you got to learn to say no. And saying no sometimes takes you to a higher place down the line. When did you learn that? Because that's a good one. I learned that a long time ago. Remember the book, The 48 Laws of Power? Oh, yeah. I read something in there once where it says, don't accept the free lunch because... Obviously, when people are friends and there's a warmth and people are like, come on, let's eat, it's different. But when somebody's getting you at business and they say, hey, I'm taking care of you, it's okay to say no because you keep your dignity in a way. You're not just an easy touch. And sometimes that's a good thing. What's something that most people don't know about you that think they know you? Well, I think that people, because I have a gregarious personality at times, they don't know that I can be extremely serious. And sometimes when I'm serious, when I think nobody's looking, they go, hey, man, what's the problem? I go, nothing. I'm just me. And I used to go out of my way to make people feel good. Now I do it to the people that deserve it, not just everybody. It's a two-way street, I've learned. 
I've relearned life is like, I'm not going to go, hey man, you look angry. I'm going to make you feel good if I'm at a dinner table. If you're going to be an asshole, I'll let you be an asshole to yourself. I'm not going to call you one. I'm not going to go, hey buddy, how you doing? Are you okay? If you're going to address me with some warmth, I'll address you back. You address me with something else. I got that covered too. I'm not that nice. But it pays to be nice. Uh, you're nice. A famous we, old we, gangster you're full it's of nice it. to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> this is the old acting mean guy I'm calling challenge. <laughs> what do you think would have happened if you didn't go to L.A. and bump into, or I guess it was a bunch of people, so I guess there was a, some form of magnetic pull. But had that not experience happened, what do you think? Would you have still played professional soccer? Would well, you have done something? Where do you think you would have panned out? It's hard to say. I remember there was a movie called Sliding Doors, which I found very interesting. Do you remember that film? No, I, I remember it. I haven't seen it. I heard well, it's a really good, thought-provoking. You walk out that, provoking, that door uh, in a train, and you go to the left, your life goes in one direction. You walk out the right side, it goes to the other direction. Somebody died, somebody didn't die. It's crazy how life, you turn the wrong corner, you know, anything can happen. So it's hard to really say that. I can't really tell, but I might have stayed in Australia and had a, a great, simpler life. I might have just, look, a lot of people that I grew up with kind of, I don't want to say admire me, but they go, wow, man, you really did this, this, and that. Not about fame, because the people that I love, they don't give a fuck about famous people. They like them if they're nice. We watch people and we blow them up on the screen. That's wonderful. Sometimes you meet them and you think, I never want to see him again or her again. But I might have had a simpler life, I think. My life has been quite complex. I wasn't a great businessman, but I've learned how to be a better man. And now, because I have something that I care about more than myself, maybe I'll become a better businessman. Uh, speaking of business, have you had, I know, again, getting back to your relationships, and I know you know a lot of people in business, have people approached you about doing something in a corporate capacity? I mean, you're very charismatic, people like you, you're smart. I can see that applying to a lot of different types of opportunities. People have started to talk to me that way, and I've started to grasp the concept because I didn't think I was worthy of that because the business world is a completely different world. People talk about left brain and right brain and all that kind of stuff. I just know that when people, like-minded people that have knowledge in certain areas, think that you're worthy, I mean, that you have something worth that they want to get together with, something of worth, then a team forms and my strengths will be good for you, your strengths will be good for me. And all of a sudden, I know some actors that have done beautiful business and it's because they open themselves up to that. Yeah. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. I'm excited to see this movie. When's it coming out? It should be towards the end of the year, October, November, December. And whoever's out there that likes history or parts of history or it's a sweeping war epic and I'm looking for it. I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's going to look good. When do you get a chance to see it? Do you just the pre-screening or do you uh, There's get... been a couple of screenings yeah. in London. I couldn't get there, but people were quite happy with it. You don't want to talk about a movie. People say things like, I have an award-winning screenplay. I have this movie as an award-winning movie. You don't know that until you win the freaking award, right? <laughs> but you always hope that the movie captures an audience and it's enjoyable. All of a sudden, you have a hit and your performance stands out and you get your next job or two. I remember somebody sent me something about Al Pacino. He said this great quote. He said, actors always ask me, unless there are, maybe there's actors out there or maybe there's performers or maybe there's people that are looking for work in corporations. Al Pacino put it this way. He said, and he's been around, you know what I mean? He goes, actors ask me how to get a job as an actor. I always say, don't try and get the job because these appointments are too great. Use it as an opportunity to find an audience. That thinking takes the pressure off. So now you're in the office, you're talking to people. Don't give me the gig. Just listen to what I'm saying. And all of a sudden, I really like this person. 
you're hired. And then you get to the next level eventually. I like that way of seeing the bigger picture. It reminds me of a quote. I think it was FM Alexander. It said, you don't control your future. You control your habits yeah. and your habits control your future. That's true, man. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, it's very true. That's a really good one. Because you can't control anything, bro. We're out of control, aren't we? Come on. I was going to say, this other guy told me, he said, when you're going in for a gig, this does not just relate to acting, okay? Let's not just talk about actors in this world. People are doing magical things everywhere, all right? When you walk into that office, if this is worth anything to you, ask the people that are interviewing you, how can I help you? How can I help you make this business better? Tell me what you need me to do. And if I can do that, everybody grows. Mm. That's the essence of my message. Everything that I'm doing, it's, that's networking. It's yeah. giving. Yeah. And it's selfish giving. You know, yeah, By doing sure. something like that, everybody wins. You're pulling everybody up. I think the old famous, I think it's a Hollywood, famous Hollywood saying, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get to the penthouse, don't forget to send the elevator back down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. old ladder one. <laughs> the old ladder one. Yeah, so that's great. You're awesome. I'm fortunate enough to call you my good friend. I appreciate you coming on the show today. I think hopefully this gives an opportunity for your fans to hear from you, gives people that aren't fans of yours. Hopefully now they can learn about you and see for yourself. If they haven't, if someone who's listening does not know who you are, what would be the movie, TV show? Where would be the first place that you point them? Well, my name's Costas Mandalore, and if you're over 50... All the uh, 55, 60, 65, 70, Picket Fences was the first show I was on on TV. Then there was many other things in the middle, but just there's a certain huge audience on the Saw franchise. Even the parents have watched it with the kids, Detective Hoffman. And of late, doing a lot of guest stars on TV shows, NCIS, The Last Ship, Once Upon a Time, tricking it up and doing my best to move forward. But The Cliffs of Freedom is a big movie coming out. Hopefully it's a great film and people enjoy it. I didn't come onto this show with my buddy, to promote myself, but just maybe to get to know you and you get to know me. Awesome. Thank you so much for being you. Make it a great day. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise. <laughs>